Let's pray. Jesus, all these songs that we sang about you is focused on you. Our eyes focused on you. Every thought, every intention was on you. We pray that you would focus our hearts, focus our faith tonight, and give us the faith that we lack. Tonight, just being here, God, we sing these songs, and we pray that that's what it would be. That you would be everything to us, everything for us. And Lord, would you help us? It's a huge thing to, to, to believe in. So Lord, we pray that we would glorify you tonight, your name, and that you would reveal yourself to us through your song, through your word, through your people. And God, you are faithful, even when we're not faithful. Gather us to yourself, Lord. You are so big. We're so small. Every single problem we have is so manini compared to how powerful you are, Lord. You're a God who is sovereign. You're a God who cares. You're a God who's compassionate and loves every single part of us. We pray that even just right this moment, right now, we just give everything to you. We love you, praise you, praise your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. And Victor will be reading our scripture. 1 Timothy 6. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing master, masters must not be disrespectful on the grounds that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. All right, let's pull it. Father, thank you so much for your word that was read. We ask that the red word now would be written in our hearts, that you would open up our, our minds and our souls, the eyes of our hearts to seeing wondrous things that comes out of your laws. And um, we all, again, like was prayed earlier, we come midweek to desire you. Um, you are our oasis. You're what fills us, and you are what sustains us and who saves us. So please, God, um, help me as servant in this task to bring the living word, the water, to all of us, that we would feed off of the Bible. And we pray that Wednesday nights would be a love feast where we show up and we are first receiving love from you and then loving one another, whether that is through service, song, um, study, teaching, preaching, prayer, um, giving each other words of encouragement, and um, even just crying with one another, just being together. Let this be a room that is filled with the love of God in its various forms. So thanks again for this and uh, ask that your spirit would empower all of us now to hear your word, believe it, and live it out. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's children said, amen. This applies to all y'all. Yeah, with that southern drawl. This replies to all of y'all, everybody. Yeah, believing boss, non-believing boss. I would even say it, it does apply to literally everyone. Even if you're a child tonight, you're thinking, well, I don't have a boss. I don't work yet. Well, you have an authority in your life. You have a coach. You have a mom, you have a dad. This applies to everybody. Everybody. Even if you're saying, oh, no, I'm retired. This doesn't apply to me. I ain't got no bosses over me. Uh, yes, you do. You're a citizen. 
You have government authorities over you. Any of us, you're in a church. You're a church member. You have leaders. So this applies, this principle applies to everyone. With that, I'm going to ask God for help one more time for my tongue. I can already feel it getting the kind. And uh, let's, let's go in together. Lord, please help me help this weak vessel to speak your word clearly. Help all of us, myself included, to hear your word clearly. And we pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would do what's most important and transform us first from the inside and then outward. Because none of this stuff in this book does any good just in our heads. The Bible is not meant for mere head knowledge. It's meant to break into our hearts and to gush out of our hands that we might shine like stars in this wicked, dark, depraved generation. That many would see our good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. For we love because you first loved. And we serve and we work because you first served us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, for me personally, before I went into full-time ministry, uh, I have a small history of work. I was after school care with Christy across the street. Little throwback memories. Um, I was a valet at the Ilikai Hotel, parked cars. I thought I was banking it back then with all my tips. Um, I worked at a bookstore, Christian bookstore. I was a preschool aide. I was a preschool teacher, and um, which ironically, I was the my the, the employer of that job was talk was reached out to me this morning, um, but. Think for all of us in the room, like, because that was that's that's my work history in a nutshell. I'm sure this would be a fun conversation after. Just go down that trail together. How many jobs did you work? What kind of what kind of occupations did you have? Don't do it now. I see you guys doing it now. Just hold hold on. I know that's a fun icebreaker, but um, oh, you had seven jobs. Or you had seventeen jobs. I don't know, however many jobs there are. But if I were to just have the ability to grab all of your bosses in your previous history. And so even for the children, you don't check out because now think coaches or teachers or any, any type of authority that you had in your life. And if I were to grab all of them and corral them into a room, all your bosses, your previous bosses, and ask them to describe you as an employee, just describe brother A or sister B as an employee, as a worker. What, what, what adjectives would they say? What do you, how do you think they would react? What kind of facial expressions do you think that they would have? Um, if I told them that you were a believer or a Christian, would they be shocked? Would they be like, oh, of course. I had a sense. How would they describe your work ethic? If you're working a regular 9 to 5 job or whether it's a, you're a student full time, um, I just want you to think now, that is just a lot of time of life, right? That's a lot of your life space. Now, I know much of us today, tonight, you came from that space. Nine, ten, eleven hours of it. Now, here's just a thought that I want to plan in your mind. Don't you think the sovereign Lord Almighty 
who would sovereignly scatter you into that type of a space for however long of a season, don't you think he would care about that space? If it's that much of your life, he does care about that space, about that season. Whether it's a workplace space or whether it's a school space or whether it's just any kind of space that you're in outside of here, it matters. I think a big problem with nominal Christianity is a lot of the Christianity is only experienced here, and then when we leave the door, it turns off, right? So these two verses that Paul is addressing tonight, don't be thrown off by just the brevity of it. Because the Bible in whole says a lot about this. Let, this is your spiritual act of worship. And now Paul is just kind of honing in on a specific space in this church where members of this church who are bond servants or employees, if you want to use those terms, they're under some sort of authority and they're in the church and he wants to address that because apparently there's a problem there. Right? As we've been studying through this letter so far, just if you just rewind the tape a little bit, he was addressing very specific issues in this church. Right? Right before this, he was speaking to the elders. Right? Their leadership was really bad in this church. They had false teachers. They needed help there. Right before that, they have a widow issue. There's widows that are being overlooked. Now, he, he kind of comes to another issue that was so concerning that he had to point it out. And it's bond servants to masters. Or employee to boss. Now, I really want you to think, though, that God really does care about that space that you just came from today. Like, I want you to think that God cares about it. That's why he puts you there, child of God. God doesn't make accidents. There's people here right now tonight, as I look around, whether you came from a classroom, whether someone's coming from HPD or DOE or food service or sales, all these different areas, these are, these are spaces in the world right now that to the common person might seem insignificant and just another job. But to King Jesus... No, I placed you there for a special purpose and reason. Do you think your God is that glorious and mindful? He is. Acts 17 says he determines exact times and places where he puts us. There's no mistake you're working or you're living or you're doing what you're doing where you are at tonight. And I'm out, and I, my, my heart, the thrust of this text, I believe, is, is out to put a fire in our hearts to redeem that space. To, to, to send us back into those spaces after this Bible study or whatever social space or economic status we have, that we're going to go back into those spaces and shine like it's nobody's business. You know, clock in with a fat smile, I almost dropped my water, on your face. Martin Luther would champion this type of doctrine. He says, he would stress the sacredness of all kinds of occupation. He would say things like, whether you're a shoemaker or a smith or a farmer, all are eligible to act as priests and bishops there. 
Luther would go on to say things like, every one of them ought to be useful and serve in them in such a way to the best advantage to that community and to promote the well-being of the body and the soul, and he will go on to preach the gospel and the glory of God. Your special ops in that location, wherever you're at. Colossians 3, whatever you do, whatever, local people, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now Paul is going to continue now going into this specific area, leaving widows and elders, and now to the members of the church who are bond servants. We'll look at that in a little bit. And he has a big word for them. It's a big word for these slaves. Don't forget, because you might be in a job tonight and you feel like it's slavery. You hate that space. Let me just be empathetic with you. If you feel those feelings, it's, that's true. You might not like where you are in right now. You've been wanting out for a long time. But let the Bible, let me remind you here, the preacher tonight, that you are free. You're free at the cross. You're no man's slave. But while we're in this fallen world and this bad space of bad employment or slavery, we will use our freedom to set others free. We will choose to serve. We will choose to slave. And we will do with all our heart that even our bosses become believers. That's the big macro point of this text tonight. Christianity is so countercultural. It's so backwards. It says, I'll die so you can live. I'll be a slave so you can be set free. Okay, that's the heart thrust. Let's walk through this two verses, two points, and we'll be pal. So it says, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled, that those who are believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Now, the first thing I want to just kind of qualify, clarify, is this term, bond servant. Okay, under a yoke, Pops brought up that picture, that agricultural picture. That's correct. It's an ox bound to another That's in, in order to do work. Now, I want us to see this, though, and don't think, because in our Western mind, we just think that's all negative. Anything that's bondage or oppressive is like negative, negative. No, Jesus actually says in Matthew 11, take my yoke. Upon you. So this picture isn't supposed to have a negative connotation. You're under a yoke. It just means you're under an authority. It's the colloquial, everyday word for you have a boss. There's there's an authority above you. That's not a bad thing. Doulos, subservient, slave. Now, we got to do some work here. And I did a little bit of homework. It's not going to be exhaustive. But I want to redeem this term because sometimes when we just come across the word, and Jerish brought it up, why did he use the word bondservant or bondslave? You know, especially if you do your U.S. history, when you think of slavery, you think of 18th century African-American slave trade, right? And just total abuse and oppression. Now, this term bond servant, it could have some, there, there, there probably was some of that going on in this case. But in this context, in this day, to be a bond servant, you can even go back to the Old Testament, Exodus 21, a bond servant was one who willingly chose to serve their master. And then they would say, because they love them. 
So there was a willfulness to be under this authority. But I do want to clarify that the Bible does push back against that oppressive, abusive type of slavery. The Bible, I don't want anyone to read this and think that Paul is condoning slavery. All right? Uh, just quickly, Genesis 1.27, it says, We're all made in the image of God, male and female. Therefore, we all have value. We have, there's, a, there's an infinite value. There's a worth here because we're made in God's image. And slavery, the, the negative slavery, that abusive, oppressive slavery is a product of sin. It ruins the image bearer. It devalues the image bearer. It devalues the dignity. Exodus 21 had policies forbidding abuse for those who were bond servants or even human trafficking. The Bible speaks against that. Leviticus 25 speaks of masters are supposed to provide financially and care for their servants. Galatians chapter 3, there's neither Greek nor Jew nor slave nor free. There is no male and female for all are one in Christ. Even in the letter, 1 Timothy 1, we, uh, now we know that the law is good if for those who strike their fathers and mothers are murderers, sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality. He's, he's listing all these bad things. And then he says in the list, enslavers, literally in the Greek, man-stealers. So that type of picture of slavery that you have in your mind of like 18th century African-American slavery, yeah, that is bad. The Bible speaks against that. This text, because we have brothers and sisters in our American history who would use such verses to justify for such slavery. That is not this, okay? It's not what Paul is teaching. He's not condoning and saying it's okay to slave trade, all right? Just wanted to put that out there in case anyone got the wrong thought. I don't know if anyone was thinking along those lines, but just in case... Let's understand the context of this and what Paul is speaking about. And yes, it wasn't probably the ideal economic system, but it's very much akin to the way there's employment today. All right? It's an employment space. So just hopefully that was helpful. Because in short, this context of bond servants, just for a lack of better terms, it can be seen in the way a worker to an employee. Yeah? Okay, so after a brief background, brief, I didn't want to do it exhaustively. I hope, hopefully there's just a better understanding and feel of this text. Because now, even with that said, you got to imagine in this church, there's still some awkward tension in the congregation because there's masters or rich people, and then there's bond servants. And there's a mixture of it all in the church. Just like there's a mixture right here in this church. I wouldn't be surprised if there's even some coworkers in this church right here. And some might be your boss. Stuff like this will apply to that. And so even though that, that's what was the makeup of the church, apparently there was still some awkward tensions there. And Paul needed to address it. So, let's continue on. Let all who are bond servants or employees regard their own masters, worthy of all honor. The first point I want to make is this. A biblical work ethic, a biblical work ethic, so I'm, we're looking at the worker, the employee, the employee, begins with a right attitude. You got to start there, okay? 
regard, hegeomai. It's a word that means you, gotta, you, have a, you have a view, a perception, an opinion. This is how you deem it, count it, esteem it, perceive it, consider it. You consider your own master, lowercase m, not curios. You don't go to clock in and treat them like the King Jesus. Lowercase m, meaning they're your authority, your boss. They have a title over you. And for that and that alone, Paul says, you are to regard them as worthy or deserving or having the value of honor. You're supposed to respect them because they're an authority. So the big point is it's going to begin with a right attitude. And, and I think maybe at this point, I don't know how much people have convinced yet. Maybe in your heart of hearts, you're like, yeah, right. <laughs> Do you know my boss? If you knew who I'm working for, you're not going to honor. Well, okay, that may be true, brother, sister. That may be true. I don't know your boss. But this is what God's word says. So we're going to have to wrestle with it. But here, let me give us some, point, um, some sub-points to this. An attitude of respect for the boss, it'll happen if you believe and see that it's the boss that God gave you. God gave you this boss. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 to 17, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, live as people who are free, but not using your freedom to cover up from evil, but living as servants of God. Verse 17, honor everyone. Love brotherhood, fear God, honor even the emperor. Because in this day context, the emperor was not a good emperor. But what is God's Christian teaching? Respect them. This may be a tough pill to swallow. This is not taught in the world's song. The things that the world teaches today is, no, you just break out against your authority. And you tell them, I'm going to do me and no, 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 and nobody tells me what to do. Like, that's the song of the age. This is saying a different song. It's saying, honor them. Show some respect. It's like, huh? Right? I mean, if you're reading the Bible that I'm reading, it's like, what? Serious? Read this, Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no, here, there is no authority except from God. Guess who put your boss in your life? I'm not, I'm not trying to justify or condone any, whether they're good or bad. Who put them there? Who put the president in our country? Who put the governor in our state? Who put the teacher in your homeroom class that you tried to get out of? God did. You got to see that, though. You have to see it, and then you have to come to a place of, like, do you believe it? All the bosses that I've had in my life, do I believe that God actually sovereignly put them over Chris Morales? And I sure know this. If I saw that earlier, I would have been a better employee. The attitude in my heart would have changed a bit. It starts there, though. It starts with your attitude, but an attitude of respect for the boss that God gave you. We need to cultivate that type of attitude. Like, you may have whatever kind of boss you have in your life right now. Start here. God gave you that boss. 
Just let that be fact. And ask the Lord, okay, Lord, you gave me this authority in my life right now. Help me to see what you're doing because you put that person there. Start there. First Timothy 2, the last chapter. Why do you think Paul urges us to pray for our leaders? We're taught to respect them, family. They're tasked to lead and govern. Whether they do it well, they're exercising an authority over us, and we are indebted to respect them, regardless of how we feel. Because the Bible says, as we cultivate a biblical work ethic, which begins with attitude, it begins with an attitude not only of respect that this is the boss God gave you, but it's an attitude of affection for the glory of God. Look at what Paul says. So that, so this is the, this is the reason why. This is the reason why you should really pray and consider about repenting from your disrespectful attitude to your boss or your teacher or your mom or your dad. Yep, mom or dad too. So that, first one, name of God. Name of God. Cleo brought this up in observation. The glory of God. You see, if you have an, an attitude that's for the glory of God, then this is going to strike a different chord for you. It's so that the name of God is not reviled. Exodus 20, verse 7 says this, Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. If you're a believer and you call yourself a Christian, then you wear and bear a brand name on your back and on your front that is big. Don't take lightly the fact that you are called Christian. I am a Christian. I pray that never gets old to you. Please don't let that name get old. This is the name above all names. This is the name that every knee will bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. This is the name that ought to strike fear into your heart every morning when you pray in his name. It's the name that set you and I free. From hell and sin and death. So if we bear the name family, does it bother you that that name could be reviled on account of your rotten attitude at work? Does it bother you? Does it bother you that the name of God could not be glorified in your workplace, that Actually, your boss and your non-believing employees that observe you and see your hypocrisy, you, call, you go to church on Sunday and then Monday you clock in all salty. Does it cause you to cringe that an outsider or an unbeliever would look at your life and say, I do not want to be a Christian because of you. I pray that my name, my life would never cause, never cause a non-believer to to cringe at the thought of coming to Christ. Now with that said, if we've fallen short in this place, bring that to the cross tonight, please. There is always grace for us until glory. Tonight is a chance to look, look in the mirror and, and repent. If this is an attitude of your heart that you don't have when you clock in or when you go to wherever you go to, then tonight's the night, Father, that is not the attitude of my heart. One, I did not acknowledge that you, you, put that, you put me there and you put that boss over me. And two, I totally did not realize that this could bring shame on the name. 
forgive me. Romans chapter 2, it says, the name of God is blaspheme among Gentiles because people talk about the law of God, preach about the law of God, but they don't live it. So, tonight's the night. Repent. Say, restore my soul. Pray Psalm 23. Lead me in paths of righteousness. And this is what the psalmist says, for your name's sake. Really ask your heart, do you love the name of God? Does it irk you when people talk stink about the name of God? Put it in, okay, like if someone were to talk stink about my wife and revile her and say all types of things that is wrong, that I know that's not who she is, that would put fire in my bones. How about on a greater magnitude to the name of God? Pray that nobody would revile the name of God on account of our disrespectful attitudes in the workplace. To cultivate an attitude of good biblical work ethic, we have to have an attitude to practice what we preach. Notice where he says, okay, so that the name of God would not be reviled, but not only the name, the teaching. So that the teaching, the doctrine, the didascalia, would not be blasphemed. I think Titus 2, verse 9 to 10 sums this great. He says, bond servants, be submissive to their masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing good faith. So that in everything, now hear it, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You see, when we cultivate a good biblical work ethic that has a rightful attitude, what we end up doing is we adorn the doctrine that we say we believe. Whether you and I like it or not, our attitudes and our actions in the workplace or in any space that we came from today, all the daily relationships, it's going to either adorn the doctrine or whatever the opposite of adorn is. Make it ugly. <laughs> I couldn't think of a word that would be the opposite of adorn. Do we adorn this Christian doctrine? It does affect, our attitudes and actions do affect how people view our God. It really does. We have to remember this, church. And the place to most frequently forget it is right when we clock in to the mundane plane, you gave nine hours today. Just, just examine yourself. I need to examine myself. It's about his glory. I pray that that would be the aim and the renown of our heart. We're children of God. We're salt and light, right? Acts 1-8, we are witnesses. You know, in all those verses, it says to be it. Like, that's just who we are. It's an, Christianity, at its fundamental base, it's, it's an identity change. I don't, regardless of what the culture says, I don't turn off being a man. I am a man. I don't turn my Filipino-ness off. I am Filipino. I will be Filipino. I will be local. I'm a local boy. It's who I am. You can take the boy from the island. I won't finish it. If you know the song, you can finish it. But, but th that's part of what identity is. So it's crazy to me that we can turn off our Christianity. Because then the question would lead us to be, well, is that our identity? 
Is that who we are? Are you salt? Are you light? Are we wit- It doesn't say, and you shall go do witness stuff. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you will be his witnesses. He cares about the people at your workplace. He wants them to know the glory of God. He wants them to see a shining light. He wants, them, he wants you to stick out like a sore thumb amongst all your other coworkers. They're going to look at all their other coworkers, and then they're going to look at you, and they're supposed to go like this. I just can't put my finger on Victor. He's just, what? I just don't get Christian. I can't, why is he smiling all the time? Wait, did it, didn't I just hear that they just went through this crisis? How are they praising God? That's Christianity. It's an it's a, it's a overflow effect of who we are, family. Why should we care about the name of God being reviled? Why should we care about the teaching not being reviled? Because there is one name under heaven that saves. It's Christ. And you will be saved by the word of Christ. There's one doctrine that sets a soul free from the fires of hell. It's that Christ alone came to live on our behalf. And he died a sinner's death. He bled out on a tree. And he paid it all in full, the wrath, the fury of God. And he rose victoriously. And he ascended and he calls everyone to repent, trust in me. And you know why I did this? Because I love you. I'm bringing you home. Trust in me. You're coming home. I love the world that I gave myself up. That is the light of the gospel. And when they see a person embody that, and then you speak it to them, and your life radiates it, guess what happens? There are bosses and coworkers and all sorts of classmates and people that are coming out. And they're coming into glory. And on that day when you and I breathe our last and they put us in a casket or an urn or whatever and we pass through the waters and we're, we're there at the celestial city rejoicing, you're going to see that, that master. You're going to see that coworker, And we will praise God together and they will say, thank you for coming to work and working for King Jesus. Amen. This church is such a big word for us today because we spend so much hours at those spaces. We got to have an attitude for the name. Can you imagine all of us clocking in this week early with smiles? Bosses be like, what's gotten into you? Honestly, you want to know, I'll tell you what's gotten into me. Can you imagine being fired up to actually go give a full hard day of work because you see the bigger picture now? It's not just about food service. It's not just about the benefits or that this job or that job pays well or doesn't pay well. It's that God sovereignly selected you to be right there in that moment because there are souls that are groping for truth and wanting some sort of peace and solace in this 
wretched world and you have the hope of glory. Show them. Shine. Be present. I get fired up when I hear things like Brandon doing Bible study in his military workspace. Isn't that cool? Isn't it cool that there's like military people that are like, you do Bible study? Can I come to that? And barfing all this life stuff on them. He's being a light there. We need brothers like that in the military, amen? Isn't it so dope to, like, sisters like Irene and Pat do Bible study at work? And they just talk about Jesus and they try to figure out how to wove it into their business philosophy. And here they are together tonight. We need sisters like that in Atomy. Do we not? You know what's crazy? If we start getting this doctrine, it's like when I drive around Oahu now and I know where you work or I know where you go to school or I know where you do whatever you do, it's like we got special ops over there. We got a sister in the DOE. We got a brother at BMW. We got like we got all just scattered all over the place. Brothers who sell knives. We got sisters who build, uh, brothers who build homes and houses and all kind. Like it's just crazy. But that's what God is doing. Church, we're not merely a family. We're an army. And when you come to church, when you come Sundays, when when we come Wednesdays. It is a caring for our soul, but it doesn't end there. We got work to do. Let's go to work and let's worship and let's witness to the glory of God. In closing, in our attempt to cultivate a biblical work ethic and attitude, we must be careful to not have an attitude that is out to take advantage of the grace of God. And I say that because in this last part right here, we want to have an attitude that doesn't take advantage of grace. What does he say there? He says, um, if you have, or what, how does it say? Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Why I say we don't want to take advantage of grace is because that's what he's speaking to. You're going to show disrespect or do less of a work because you know your boss is a believer. It's the same train of thought in Romans 6 where Paul is saying, are we to sin because we're not, not under the law but under grace? You have this believer boss and you think, well, I can come late because they're going to show me grace. They're, they go to, they're a church member. It kind of has this attitude of where you actually use the grace of God, where you have a believing boss. And I've had non-believing bosses and believing bosses. And I will tell you, that is a temptation. When I had a boss that was a believer, not in this church, but before I was in ministry, it was a temptation to think, I'll just clock in a little later. She's not going to say anything. It was a temptation. But I had to see this. And actually think the opposite. No. This is a believer. This is a sister in Christ. This is a brother. I should even more so work heartily. Because that's family. But sadly, maybe if you have a believing boss this evening, maybe this will speak to you. Are you taking advantage of grace? You see, the grace of God was not given us that we would 
take advantage of it in the sense where we do less. Titus actually says this, the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation, and it trains us to renounce ungodliness. You see, when you actually realize the grace of salvation, your service, your work ethic goes through the roof. You're on a different next level kind of worker. And I have seen that to be true in my own life. Like when my faith and really took fruit and fire, I was a different athlete. I trained harder than anyone else. It even changed my school life. Sadly, my senior year, that's when it kicked in. But I did my homework like it's no one's business. Because ultimately, it wasn't for the teacher. It was for Jesus. You see, when you really see the grace of God and you become a worker, an employee who just is fired up to serve and love, when you tell your boss, I'm putting my two weeks in, you know what they're going to do? They're going to cry their eyes out because they're going to miss you. But that's how it's supposed to be. Point in closing, a biblical worth ethic is followed through with greater action. When Paul says they must serve, that's a must now. It's not a suggestion. They must serve all the better, Milan. It means greater action, a greater degree, even more, more willingly, choke. That's what the word means. The question is, is if we believe it. And will we do it? Galatians 6, do good to all, especially those of the house of faith. So if you have a believing boss, even more so. But church, in closing, I'm going to close with this. Let's turn there together. Go to, go to Philippians chapter 2. I hope that by now, perhaps the Lord is already cultivating in you a different attitude to go to work, to finish the work week. Um, Philippians chapter 2. I praise God if he's doing that. If you're in a place right now where you need to spend some time repenting tonight, maybe, maybe, can you imagine if your boss actually is reviling the name of God because of you? Like in their heart of hearts, you call yourself a Christian and you're one of the employees in the, in the workspace that they're like, can't wait till you do something wrong so I can fire you. Whatever it is, wherever you're at tonight, tonight's the, now's the time to, to repent. Turn to the cross. But all of this, all of this desire, this attitude, this greater action to have a good hard work ethic, it really is our humble attempt to follow after Jesus. Philippians 2, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Do nothing of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to your own interests, but the interests of others. Verse 5, this mind among yourself, you have it, it's in Christ. It's yours in Christ. You and I will not have a biblical work ethic. Or you might be fired up now, but it's going to fade off by Friday if, if you don't realize that this is first ours in Christ. You look at Christ, who, verse 6, he was the form of God. He was the big boss man. He is the big boss man. And he did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, meaning like, try to grab that one. 
that's a head scratcher. You got to get that. This is something to be grasped, that the king of kings, the master, capital M, would, this is the great condescension, he would humble himself, verse 7, empty himself, take the form of a what? A servant. An employee. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself. He did this and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. He's the servant king. So when we go to work this week, or whatever space we go to, we will choose to to be subservient, to be the slave that they would be set free. That's the heart. Serve. Work hard this week, church. Praise God you have a place and a space to work in. Pray for your authorities. Pray for your bosses. That you would work hard and serve in such a way that that boss would one day, if he does not or she does not know, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ on account of you being a faithful and true witness. How cool would that be to go out like that? You know, I was, I was really thinking on, I mean, just praying on this, reading on it, because I've been, I mean, my occupation is, is this. It's here, serving you guys. I mean, in many sense, Jesus is my master and, and you guys. We're congregational ruled. I mean, I, I serve you. But, you know, I was thinking, like, man, if I wasn't doing this, and if God were to scatter me to some other vocation, And oh, I pray that I would see it like a call. Like, please see it as a sacred calling. You're not just a fill-in-the-blank. Don't let the world tell you you're just a fill-in-the-blank. The Word of God says, you're a saint, you're a soldier, and I'm sending you in. It's sacred ground. So let's redeem it. Let's get to work. All to his name. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Um, You are the hardest worker ever. I love the Gospels and how they paint these beautiful pictures of you washing disciples' feet. I see blood and sweat on your waistband as you mended to people's wounds. You were a carpenter. You took a vocation. And and carpentry, an insignificant one. Your everyday blue-collar job. You, you, You came and you interacted with our humanity and you sweat. You are so awesome, King Jesus. There's none like you. And we want to be just like you, Jesus. I pray that in this place, Lord, from our children all the way up, Lord, you would continue to work in us good, hard workers who work with great, wonderful, joyful attitudes because we see past this life. We see past our occupation. We're not going to be in these roles forever. We're free. The Son Your blood has set us free. 
And so now until glory, let us use this freedom now to serve well that others too might be set free. Father, I thank you for the fire I see in my brothers and sisters' eyes. I pray a blessing over them, that you'd fill them up and that you'd send them out into the workspace now. That more people would come to knowing King Jesus. Use us now, Lord, in all the peculiar ways and places you've called us to. And help us to be praying for each other and rooting each other on. Do this, we pray, in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. help us. Lord, help us to be lights in the places that you have placed us, whether it be working at home, in an office, in the highways and byways, on the field or farm, sea or air, Lord. Let your name be found in our hearts and heard as the praise of, of our lips, exalting you in your kingdom, Lord. May the grace of Jesus cause us to live as redeemed servants that proudly bear the title given to us as Christians, believers, followers of Christ. For your kingdom and all glory to be to Christ. In your name, amen. Go in his peace.